started a series two weeks ago on the book of Jude. And I kind of left it like if you don't like the sermon, you don't have to come back next week. And nobody came last Sunday. I couldn't, I don't know if I should take it personal or not, but we fooled you because we're doing it today. So, <laughs> no, good. So we, we titled Hey Jude, and I know some of you got that song going on in your head, the Beatles, you know, hey, okay, I won't sing for you. Okay. <laughs> Just, uh, just so by a way of review, uh, if you weren't here, just to kind of put us back in touch, Jude opens the epistle and er- introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. So when he says he's a servant of Jesus Christ, what it really means, he's a bondservant, which means he's subservient and entirely at the disposal of his master. And of course, his master was Jesus. And then he identifies himself as the brother of James. And so we look back and we realize that Jude is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it's interesting that James, who wrote the book of James, and Jude, who's writing this epistle here, didn't become followers of Jesus Christ till after his death and resurrection. This was their own half-brother. You know, and you can figure that out. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. <laughs> But Jude had a purpose in writing this epistle. It was kind of twofold. He wanted to expose false teaching that had infiltrated the Christian community. And he wanted to encourage Christians to stand firm in their faith. In the second part of verse 1, he says that we're called, loved by God, and kept in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that we're called. God called you. He loves you, and he'll keep you. And then in verse Three, which we're going to uh, not pick up from, but I want to mention is he tells us to contend for the faith, defend the faith against the threat and attack, and, and live godly lives that resist false teaching. And so today I, I really purpose to start out identifying what some of those false teachings would, would be. And um, I, I woke up this morning, and God just reminded me of a story that I had experienced um, so I'm going to kind of pass on that. Uh, that, that could be a definitely a, a def- another, another time, but false teaching has definitely infiltrated the church. But I want to tell you an experience that I had uh, an involvement with, false, with a false teaching. It was a number of years ago, and, and uh, I had uh, signed up the youth group to go to summer camp. It was a camp that was very well established, great reputation, all that, so we said, you know, let's go and experience that. So we did. And um, we were the kind of new kids on the block. There were some other guys that, that I networked with uh, from the area that were uh, attending that camp and really spoke very highly of it. And, um, and so we, we signed up, we went, and everything was great. We had a wonderful time. Matter of fact, I saved somebody's life. She's not here this morning, but that was the year I saved her life. I won't tell you who it is, but I saved her life there. She'll remember. Uh, and... Uh, well, let me tell you the story quick. <laughs> so we're having a, they're having this massive uh, shaving cream fight out in the field. I mean, everybody, the kids brought like tons of shaving cream because they knew this was going to happen. So they're all out there screwing each other, having a great time. Well, what happened was somebody stuck the shaving cream in this girl's mouth and squirted it. It was menthol. And she was actually choking she ran up to me. She couldn't even talk. No, nothing was coming out. So I just kind of, I, I helped her out. I saved her life. 
So she owes me big time. But I won't get into that. Um, but she's lived her life well, and I'm very happy that, um, that I saved her life. But So we're at this camp. Everything's going great. Um, the messages were solid and everything. And then we come to the last night, closing night. Now, usually you do a retreat, camp, something. The closing night is like, that's the big night, man. That's when, you know, we, we're praying God gets a hold of people's lives and changes them, and we send them home. So we get through the message, and we get down to the end, and the speaker calls all the kids up front and for prayer. And then he starts taking them through this. The only way I can describe it is it's a visualization thing. Now, it was popular then. Uh, Pastor Cho from Korea was, was hitting this thing real hard. And, you know, you, you need a car. You just visualize what kind of car you want, what color you want. You need a bicycle. God's give you, pick all the options you want. God will give you. And it was like, so <clears throat> he starts telling the kids and taking them down this path of, you know, he's going he's gonna to help them visualize something. So I, I, I remember I was over to the left. The kids were all over there, and we're, we're, we're praying and stuff, and he starts this, and all of a sudden I see all these heads turn to me, like, and I go, don't do it. Don't do it. I didn't know what else to do. I, I, you know, aside from getting up and causing a disturbance in the camp, I, I wasn't sure. I said, don't do it. And he took them to this whole thing of, you know, and I, he, he was telling them, you know, visualize your... You're, up, you're going up to heaven, and you meet Jesus, and he gave this grand description of Jesus, and now Jesus comes and embraces you. Can you feel his embrace? And then uh, he says, and, you know, now you can see people that have gone on before you that died. I had a kid in my, my group that had just lost his mom, you know? And I was like, wow, this is dangerous, man. And he took him through this whole thing. So the kids came up to me after this and said, look, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock at the gazebo, Let's have a meeting. I'll explain it all to you. You know, don't say a word to anyone in the camp. Don't discuss it with anyone. Don't bring it up. We're, we're the new kids on the block. I don't want to come in. We're going to start a ruckus in the camp, you know, at the, at the last night. And so I met with them, and I kind of took them through some scriptures. And I said, this is why this is not, you know, this is not right. It's a false teaching, you know. And I said, I will take care of it when I get home. So I went home. I called the director of the camp. Uh, to talk to him about it. He said, well, I wasn't there. I don't know, you know, what went on, whatever. I can't comment, but you have to speak to the speaker, which I was intending on doing anyhow. So he was my next phone call. And I saw, I had a conversation with him about it. <clears throat> I went through some verses with him. And I, you know, was trying to show him that this is false teaching. You can't, you know, you can't put things together in your mind and expect God to do those. I mean, you know, come on, you know. And uh, he argued with me, he argued with me really hard. And I wasn't arguing, I was just trying to point it out. And then he got very personal with me, okay? Started attacking me, doesn't even know me. So I was like, you don't even know me, you don't even know what you're saying. So I said, you know what, we're going to end this conversation, but let me just say this, that you will be held accountable for any kid that you've led astray doing this. And we left it at that. We never went back to the camp again, Okay. Uh, and I felt bad about that, but, uh, you know, we need to realize that uh, sometimes, and it's subtle, and it's, uh, false teaching always sounds good. It always sounds right. It usually is, makes us feel good, you know? Uh, and so uh, we're, sometimes people fall into that. One of the things that I was going to mention in the message is that one of the, you know, one of the, it's been around forever, but it's 
challenging the authority of God's word. You know? Is God's word really, you know, his inspired word? And I remember the story of Billy Graham before he really launched his international ministry. He was at a Christian camp. He was with a bunch of theologians. And they were, you know, and Billy Graham was like, you know, he preaches God's word. That's all he preached, you know. And they challenged him on that. And they said, you know, I don't know if, you know, that's right. And, you know, I don't know if we can trust that. And he was really, it really disturbed him. And he he was starting to feel like he didn't know if he could go on in ministry. This is before he, like, went big time, you know. And he he couldn't even sleep at night. He was wrestling with this whole idea of what if God's word is not, you know, doesn't have the authority and and the power and, and, you know, whatever. And so he woke up one morning, uh, not woke up, he couldn't sleep. So he took his Bible out. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning, and he took a walk. The moon was out. It was like the moon was lighting up the sky. And he found a stump and he opened up his Bible and laid it down. He said, God, I've always trusted your word. I always, I believe that your word is the authority, but I need to know from you. You know, these guys were, you know, they were having an effect on him. And he said, if I can't preach your word, then I can't go on. You know, he said, God showed up. He felt the presence of God. God spoke to him in his spirit and reaffirmed him that his word was authentic, that it was real, that it was, you know, and all the things that he needed to hear. He said he closed his Bible. He went back to his room and he fell asleep. And that was just before. They already had dates on the calendar for the uh, L.A. uh, uh, meetings that were starting. This was his big launch, you know. And he didn't feel like if he couldn't confirm that in his own heart, how could he go on and preach the gospel? Well, when God showed up and told him that, he, man, he, he said, I, f- I felt a fresh power and anointing upon my life and my ministry, and I just went on and just kept going from there. So, um, hey, the things that, um, you know, the, the things that false teaching will challenge us with are, are, you know, very difficult. And sometimes they're disguised. They're not like, you, sometimes you won't pick it up right away. So maybe another time we'll, talk about what some of those are, but I, I didn't want to take the time uh, this morning to make the message too long. So from, from uh, the, the <clears throat> book of Jude, we learned that in the midst of, of this, the, the, this danger that was, the church was facing, we're encouraged to contend for the faith. And, once, and, and, and we, need to, we need to understand that. And there's a real danger in the church today, as there was then, for false teaching. And so we, as we come to the end of Jude's letter, we've got to ask ourselves a couple of questions. How can we practically contend for the faith? And how can we personally apply Jude's caution about ungodly influences in our own lives? And I think that in these closing verses, Jude gives us four ways on how we're to keep the faith. First of all, you keep the faith by being aware of ungodly uh, intruders. I commented last week that the greatest danger of the church is not persecution. It's not restrictions on our religious freedom. It's not immoral laws that are enacted by the government. The greatest danger to the church is not from without, but from within. The church has always thrived under persecution, but when the church is attacked from within, it's very destructive. 
Some of you probably have been part of maybe other fellowships where this happened and you saw how it really can destroy a church. But the church uh, will not stand if it fails uh, to keep the faith in the midst of Satan's divisive schemes. So let's look at the closing verses in the book of Jude, starting with verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And these, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. And so Jude reminds us of the dangers that were predicted long ago. And Jude reminds the church that they should, uh, what they should have known is referring to some of the uh, people that had spoke the same themes. Jesus in his ministry at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Paul in Acts 20, 29 and 30 says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among, uh, you, from among your own selves will rise up men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. First Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times uh, some will depart from the faith uh, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. So before Jude wrote this epistle, I mean, it was already spoken to, but apparently it was going on then and it still continues today, okay? Now, <clears throat> I got to say, there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever you know, was happening then is happening now. Maybe it's packaged a little different. Terminology is a little different. And the thing about false teaching is it sneaks in real subtly. You know, it's mixed with truth. So you're listening to it. And you know, yeah. And, and I don't know if you've had experience that that camp wasn't my only experience. With, I've been in, in fellowships before where, I, where false teaching came across. I remember one time I... I, uh, I challenged one of the pastors on something he spoke on. I was on staff then, but I was like, I said, I don't even think you believe that, you know? And he got mad at me. He actually told me to leave. You know, I think it's time for you to go. And I said, you know what? Maybe it is. I said, but if you're telling me it's time to go, then it's not time to go. If you're telling me God told you it's time to go, then maybe it's time to go. Well, he never preached that again. He said to me, no one's ever criticized, and he was a great teacher. But he got caught up into something that was, I didn't even think he was convinced of it, you know? So that can happen. And, um, you know, there's, there's those who are genuine, they're believers, they teach false things, and and sometimes cause divisions in church. That's the thing that will happen with false teaching. Always blow a church up. You get people fighting. They're disagreeing about that, okay? And so I've personally seen the damage and division that can happen. So that's why we, we're, we, need, to, we need to focus in on what's being taught, what we're teaching, what are, we're filling ourselves with, 
you know? If you ever have anything in question, uh, go see Pastor Tony. That guy, he's, he's, uh, he's awesome, man. He'll, he'll answer all your questions. <laughs> you don't mind me saying that, right? No, okay. okay. <laughs> but we need to know what we're hearing and what we're living is true. But we also can't tolerate sin. To keep the faith means we stand up against what God says is wrong. And while Jesus is merciful, you can see very clearly from Scripture, he never tolerated sin. There's a broad way and there's a narrow way. There's eternal damnation and eternal life. There's holiness and ungodliness. One of the points that I was going to make, and I just thought of sharing this now, is there's a teaching that says that hell isn't real. You know? A loving God would never send a person to hell. I agree with that. You know why? Because they send themselves. If they're exposed to the truth and they don't accept the truth, then they're, they've made their own decision. God will never send a person to hell. But also, if a person doesn't respond to God and confess their sin, then the scriptures are very clear about there is eternal punishment, just like there's you know, an eternal heaven and, and glory. There's eternal punishment. But we don't like to preach that because it makes people feel uncomfortable, you know? But there's a teaching that says that hell isn't real anymore. God would never send you to a place like that. He's too gracious. He's gracious, but he's a righteous judge. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Okay. So you keep yourself uh, in the faith by cultivating your personal relationship with God. That's the second thing. Uh, we must not think that that contending for the faith means that we simply get in uh, and, and attack people that are, are, are bringing false teaching. Uh, there's those who spend a lot of time and energy and effort trying to point out and argue against something. There's a place to oppose falsehood, but it should never be at the expense of our own personal relationship with God. If, I, if I'm just like trying to you know, fight against something, but I don't keep my heart and my, and my own person in the right place, then I'm going to find myself in trouble too. Okay? We will, not be success, we will not successfully keep the faith if we concentrate only on opposing or resisting the opponents of the faith. We have to take positive steps to continue uh, in the love of God and not to neglect our own spiritual growth. Each one of us is responsible for how we grow spiritually. It, it's just, you know, and it, God made it that way and it's okay and he, he won't override you, but we're responsible for our own spiritual growth, all right? And it's not just the sermons that you listen to. We have to have a personal relationship with God, all right? We must actively engage in our own personal relationship. That comes through uh, devotional life, prayer life, fellowship, all the things that the scriptures teach us that are important. Now, I said in first service, I haven't really said anything about being in fellowship. And, you know, the pandemic has created a situation uh, for some people. It's totally legitimate. I'm not attacking anyone or saying that, you know, whatever. But some people have found it very convenient to be out of fellowship. I'm not saying they're not listening to the word. I'm not saying they're not praying, that they don't have a relationship with God, but they've neglected the importance of coming together as a body. And so 
Um, if you're listening and that's you, you got to get back into fellowship. We're calling you to fellowship because it's so important. It's not about the social aspect of it. That's part of it. You know what I mean? Don't, I like being around people, but it's that we encourage one another. And, 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 and the worship experience is not the same online. I'm sorry. As in person. Man, when we come together and, and we worship God together and, and you know, the, the word is preached, I mean, there's something about being there live and in person. All right? I love watching things on TV. I, I, recently, I watched uh, James Taylor. And um, now I forgot her name. <laughs> huh? No, no, no. That was, no, the other uh, tapestry. Carol King. I watched it in concert, and I loved it. I mean, it was just like, you know, just, it was moving. It was like, you know, they told stories. But you know what? It would have been so much better if I was there in person. I think I would have enjoyed that so much better because there's just something about it, you know? And I'm not comparing that to church, <laughs> okay? But we got to come together as, as believers. There's value in that. Let's not neglect. I mean, the scriptures tell us, don't neglect you know, coming together as, as believers. So I'm not trying to make anybody feel weird or guilty or whatever. That's not my point. If you got reasons for uh, being away or whatever, that's fine. Um, and this is the first time I've really said anything publicly about it. But if that's not the case, get back into fellowship. Come on, we need you here. We need one another. Okay, let me go on. Get off the soapbox. Okay, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So it seems like Jude is telling us four things um, in, in, these, in these couple of verses. But I think that the focus or the main point that uh, Jude is trying to make is that we keep ourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. We have to remain in God's love. Now, as I said before, er, earlier in the, in the uh, epistle, Jude says you're called, you're loved, and you're kept. And um, God promises to keep his own. But his own, that's us, have responsibility to pursue our faith, to keep ourselves in love with God. God keeps his own, and we must keep ourselves in his love. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 15 to abide in my love. He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and, I will, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So there seems to be a connection between keeping yourself in the love of God and obeying God. And we see that clearly. And Jude provides kind of three steps uh, to take or keep ourselves in the love of God. The first thing he said is to build yourself up in the most holy faith. And Paul wrote that the only foundation for the church is Jesus Christ. And people must build upon that foundation. The most holy faith that Jude is mentioning here, I think, is the gospel. That we need to keep ourselves connected. This includes, of course, the teachings of Christ, that we would follow him. And we remain in God's love by continuing to grow in our understanding of the Bible. The Bible uh, will never exhaust our knowledge of the scriptures. It's just too amazing that what's there, okay? But 
We need to grow in our relationship with God. And we, as we understand God's word better, we'll know God better, and our love for him will increase. The second step by which we remain in God's love is by praying in the Holy Spirit. Our relationship with God is nurtured in prayer. It needs to be nurtured in prayer. Prayer is an essential part of our faith and our relationship with God. In order to keep ourselves in God's love, we must be prayerfully dependent upon him. The prayer that Jude mentions here is not some kind of selfish prayer where I tell God what I want and, you know, kind of, you know, I got my list. To pray in the Holy Spirit means to pray according to God's will, his desires, and his plans for our life. It's a prayer that's motivated uh, by seeking the will of God. It's the kind of prayer that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. You know, as Paul went through in Ephesians 6 and kind of went through the armor of God, the things that we need to put on to really be effective and, and, you know, and, and follow God, he ends it up with pray at all times in the Spirit. That's got to be an important part of our life. The third step in remaining in God's love is to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, to fan the flames of Christian hope. You know, we have a hope beyond this life, and sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. We can get so caught up in life and the situations around us that we forget that, you know what? We have a whole eternity to be in the presence of God. To continue in our love for God means uh, we will uh, we'll continue to long for the day when Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, appears. Oh, there's a great day coming, folks. There's a great day coming. And we need to encourage ourselves with that. Man, it can, life can be difficult sometimes, you know? And we lose sight of the, the, the future. Your future is awesome. It's great. And you need to go for that. We eagerly await for the day uh, when we will know him more fully. I mean, when you find yourselves in the physical presence of God, it's going to be, I, I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be amazing. I know that, you know. And um, we must live with eternity in view and eagerly await for the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus wrote in chapter 2, verse 13, he said, Blessed hope, uh, <clears throat> waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we can't remain in God's love if we immerse ourselves in the world. If I throw myself into the world and the world system and everything that's going on around me, I'm not going to be able to remain in God's love. But we need to live our lives in light of eternity. Listen, there's no do-overs once you get to heaven either. And I don't think there'll be any regrets. But let's live our life now in light of eternity. So that when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, how he presents us, okay, that will be okay with it. We'll be happy the way we lived our lives. I'm not talking about perfection, all right? Because I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not perfect. And my wife was here. She'd say a big amen, you know? But uh, no, but that we live our lives in the hope, in the view of being in God's presence. We keep the faith by helping those influenced by the ungodly. Uh, as a church, as a body of Christ, we need to show mercy to those that have been affected by false teaching. Uh, 
There may be people near you struggling with their faith. There may be there, you may be here this morning and struggling with your faith. You may be watching online kind of questioning, you know, uh, is what I've been believing really true? What are we to do about it as, as followers of Christ? And Jude gives us some answers on how to respond to these people in verses 22 and 23. He said, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. And Jude now focuses on how believers should influence and, and, and be a part of those that have fallen away and fallen into false teaching. And it almost appears like there's three kind of classes or groups of people mentioned in this progression of um, how badly each group is affected by ungodly intrusion. The first group is those who doubt uh, whether the faith that they've been taught is correct. We should always extend mercy to them and be patient with those that are struggling with doubts. Don't blow them out of the water. You know what I mean? Don't attack them. Love them through their doubts. Have you had moments of doubt? It's so nice when people come alongside you and say, hey, I know you're doubting. You know what? And what you do is you, ex you exhort them and encourage them with the truth of God's word, and you love them and treat them with patience. The second group is even in greater danger uh, the closer that they're actually getting to being captured by false teaching and, and behavior of intruders. And perhaps there's people you know um, that have fallen to this. I don't know if you had, had the experience of having anyone that was like really solid in the faith and then they wigged out. You're like, what happened to them, you know? They started following something else. You know, and it's not easy to restore them, but we can't give up on them because I believe that the truth is in them. You know, it's interesting because in my years of working with teenagers and often, not often, but enough times, there was rebellious teenagers, you know? And I'd say to their parents, you know what? That truth is in them. And you got to trust God enough. Put them in God's hands and trust God enough that that truth that, that you put in them and has been instilled in their life, that God will bring it back, you know? And I've seen it happen, you know? I've seen kids get way out there. Wow, how'd they get into that, you know? And all of a sudden they realize this is wrong and they come back to the truth. I always, even though I didn't serve the Lord as a, as a teenager, I knew the truth. I knew, I'd be out with my friends, man, and we'd be having a great time, okay? And all of a sudden, the conviction of God would come on me. It would take my high away. It would bum me out. My friend's like, man, what's wrong? I can't explain it to you. <laughs> but I knew God was dealing with me at that moment, reminding me that, man, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be doing this. We've got to trust God enough with that, okay? And it says that... Um, we should snatch them from the fire that threatens to destroy them. It's almost like go in there, man, you know, and, and pull them out. All right. And then now this third group is in worse shape. They've already been defiled by false teaching. Perhaps they've joined uh, along with false teachers and perverting the grace of God and denying of Jesus Christ as Lord. The image of their sin is that, that of spoiled undergarments. To be stained by the flesh means to be stained by bodily functions. It's a reminder of that sin is stinky and foul and makes us filthy. And so 
we have to be careful, the scriptures tell us, in, sh in, in showing mercy and keeping a close watch on ourselves that we don't get caught up in what they're believing. If a person has fallen for false teaching, they believe that wholeheartedly. They're almost angry that they were taught something that they, they you know, decided wasn't truth. And so they, they'll try to pull you in, all right? Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a, with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. I don't know if you had the, have had the privilege of bringing somebody back. Oh, man, it's so much joy when you... And it, it's a process. I mean, it's not going to happen in a one-time conversation usually, all right? You got to hang with people on this one. But you got to remind them and you got to speak truth over their life. You got to pray for them and you got to, you know, treat them with, you know, just knowing that God is there and God's taking care of the situation. But if sin is not addressed, it will lead to serious problems in the church. We must never be harsh or unmerciful. We need to be prayerful and loving, helping those who are under the influence of false teaching, while at the same time protecting the unity and purity of a church. There is nothing harder, uh, and I know Pastor Tony would agree with this, when you got something going on and you got to address it, you know what I mean? And to try to maintain unity in the process of doing that, you know? There's nothing that puts more kind of pressure on a, on a leader or a pastor when they have to do that. And so we need to restore people lovingly. Um, and then Jude closes with one of the most moving benedictions, I think, in the, in the New Testament. The book of Jude closes with the reminder that ultimately it's God who keeps us. You keep the faith by trusting God to keep you. Jude opened the letter again with the following greeting, those who are called, uh, beloved in, uh, in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And now he closes this letter out by reminding them that God is able and willing to keep his own from falling away from the faith. False teachers threaten the church, but those who truly belong to the Lord will not surrender. Their perseverance is not due to their own strength, but it's God himself who keeps us from falling away. He makes us able to stand before him blameless and joyful till Christ returns. Look what it says in verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. There's a beautiful tension that's kind of in that, in that scripture that it helps us. Uh, it says that we need to keep ourselves in the faith, but God will keep those who are faithful to him. God gives us his grace so that we desire to keep ourselves in his love. Verse 24 says he's able to keep you from stumbling. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again, all right? But God will be there for you, all right? And he'll, 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 he'll guide us through everything that we face in life. Now, there's a process that happens in our life called sanctification. If you prayed that prayer this morning at communion and you invited Jesus into your life, then your salvation is secure, okay? 
there's nothing else that you need to do. You need to grow in the faith, of course, or you'll fall away. But Jesus did it all. It's a completed work. And when God looks at us through what was done on the cross, all right, he sees a completed work. He sees a finished product, and he's happy about it, all right? So you're saved when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You're also saved as the Holy Spirit conforms you into his image, the image of God. And you'll be finally and forevermore saved when Jesus returns and you stand before his presence. So we can see it's a process. Salvation is secure, but there's a process that happens in our life. And God promises us that he, we will be able to stand before him blameless. Think about that for a minute. Now, if you know yourself and you're honest with yourself, okay, you probably wouldn't present yourself as blameless. But again, as, he, as, as we're seen through the work of the cross, okay, the completed work, it's done. God sees us as blameless. And then he says, he'll present us with great joy. All right? If you know somebody that you really like, and you introduce them to someone else, you're happy to do that. You're like, hey, this is my, my good friend, so-and-so, and, you know, you know, whatever, and you're like, I mean, your face lights up. Listen, God is going to present you with great joy. He's going to say, this is Connie. You know, put your name in there. This is so-and-so, and I'm presenting him with great joy. And since God is perfectly faithful supremely powerful and infinitely loving, he alone deserves all glory, praise, and honor, now and forevermore. So verse 25 says, and to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And that puts God in his right place. There's none like him. We sang about it this morning. It's nothing like God. He's so amazing. So it's glorious. I mean, we can't even begin to fathom what that's all about. But you know what? That's who he is. But he cares about us as individuals also. This supreme God, the creator of the universe, knows your name. He knows your address. He knows all the details about your life. And he still loves you. And so out of our life should should, uh, should well up a desire to praise and worship him because he's amazing. He's God. He's our father. And, he's, and, he's, and, and you know, all the things that, that Jude writes here, that, he, that, that, he's, that he's, he has glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and forevermore, that'll never change. So as we stand in faith, in these end times, or the times that we're in, we need to know that those, there will be those that come in that try to distract us from the truth, try to lead us astray. But you know what? Man, just hang on to God. Honor him, glorify him, and ask him to use you to reach others that have gone astray. There's people out there, you know what? They, they drifted from the church. And I don't believe that God wants us just to leave them out there. Maybe God's got to do some stuff in their life. You know what I mean? Let God work. But if you have opportunity, you know. Um, that was a challenge kind of work with working with teenagers. And, you know, I, I want to say I taught kids a lot, but you know what? They taught me a whole lot. 
They taught me not to give up. You know, when I see a kid who's that I had kids in my group that were on fire for God, man. I was like, and, you know, people tried to push them forward. You know, they, they actually used them, you know, in ways that, you know, not, they took advantage of their passion. But they weren't mature enough to handle it. And they drifted from the faith. You got to put them in God's hands. You got to love them through that. Keep calling them back to the truth. Keep reminding them of who God is. There's a few I'm still waiting for. God's, God's hand was on them mightily, and the enemy came in and just snatched them. But I don't believe it's permanent because God is a God of restoration. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you this morning for uh, your word and this opportunity uh, for me to just share it. I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, that you'd bless your word and anoint your word. And I pray over your people this morning, Lord God, that we would be so committed to you and so in love with you, God, that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be distracted or diverted. And God, as a church, that we would stand up uh, and proclaim the things that you declare are right and good. And God, give us the courage that we need to stand against anything that would try to bring uh, disunity, disloyalty, and division in the church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.